Okay, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to assume there's no junior church today. Yes. Didn't see anybody jump up, so I assume that I'm correct. <laughs> Not always hap- that doesn't always happen, but we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to back up to verse 1. Uh, I know your bulletin says verses 3 through 8, but uh, to get us thinking again, and I uh, was encouraged Somebody came up to me, was it last week, and said they had memorized one and two. So that's great. And I I won't ask for a show of hands of how many others did that. But uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For I, through the grace given to me, for through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Do you ever get to thinking that life may be just a little bit easier and a little bit simpler if every morning we could open our email and there would be an email from the Lord giving us instructions for the day? Well, it doesn't happen that way, and I'm not sure that it would make things easier. In our home, when our kids were growing up, my wife would put a list of chores on the refrigerator. And every week those chores would change. One week they would have to wash the dishes. Another week they'd have to dry them. And another week set the table and so forth. And and they could go to that chart every day and check off that they did their responsibilities that day. And yet the problem was that both dad and the children had minds of their own. And uh, we didn't always do what was on. Even though we knew what was on the list, we didn't always do it. And. And I, I think if we got an email from God, we'd wrestle with that, that same thought as well. But when it comes to the will of God, there is one thing we know. And that is that in verses 1 and 2, he wants us to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? How do we work that out in our daily lives there? That's what we want to look at the next several weeks uh, as we make our way through the next three or four chapters here. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? How, do, how does that relate to our day-by-day activities? He takes a look at several areas. He begins with the church in, in the, our opening verses here. Then he takes a look at our interpersonal relationships. How do we be a living sacrifice to one another? Then he looks at our enemies and then the government. And I'm not sure why he puts the enemy and the government together there, but... Uh, <laughs> We, we, we can debate that as, as time goes on. And, and then our weaker brothers and so forth. How do we become a living sacrifice in those situations? He begins with the church. You might wonder, well, why in the world does he begin with the church? 
Well, the fact of the matter is, that's the reason Jesus Christ came into this world. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He came to bring you and I into the church to be a part of his body. And he places on us the responsibility of being laborers together with him. We are the ones who are the laborers today building the church of Jesus Christ. There are many concepts in scripture to illustrate the church for us. Uh, both Paul and Peter look at the church as a building in a sense. Uh, not, a, not a building like we're building out back here, but uh, a, a living building there made of living stones. Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and, and John, in John in Revelation chapter 19 looks at the church as the bride of Christ. And that's a, a different picture, a different responsibilities there. Elsewhere, it's called the assembly. Uh, Here, he uses the picture of a body. We are one body. We are several members or or many members there. And so let's take a look at how he describes for us the body of Christ and how we can, as a part of that body, live out the command to be a living sacrifice. How, How can we glorify God through being that sacrifice in the church? He first of all identifies us as people of grace here. Now, I realize that doesn't say that in your notes. It says it up there because my wife's a better typewriter, better at typing than I am. Uh, I, I can only use two fingers in each hand when I type. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's as far as I've learned. I'm sorry, but that's as far as I, I ever got. I never took a course in typing. I've been self-taught. And so those fingers don't always hit the keys in the right order. <laughs> And, and so that should be people. Just transpose those two last letters there and you'll, you'll get it right in your notes there. But we are to be people of grace. Paul was well aware of that fact. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 10, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Realize that he was where he was. He was doing what he was. He, he was the individual that he was because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, he speaks of that also in Timothy, in First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. Paul realized his life had been changed by the grace of God. And I trust as you look at your own life today, you can say the very same thing. You're not the same person you used to be. You've been changed. The grace of God has been at work in your life, and and as a part of the church, we should be a family of grace, as the family of God is also a family of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says, by grace you have been saved. We've been brought into the family through the grace of Jesus Christ, and we should never forget that truth. If we forget it, the danger he brings to us here is pride. We get to thinking, look at how good I am. Look at the gifts that I have. Look at how important I am. And we fail to realize we are who we are because of the grace of Jesus Christ. The glory goes back to him, not to us. 
If we ever get the feeling that we're God's gift to the church, we're in trouble. Someone has said, if you get the feeling you're God's gift to the church, get a bucket of water, stick your hand in it, and then you pull your hand out and look at the size of the hole that remains. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we, we need to realize uh, that uh, we come, people come and go. Pastors come and go as far as that goes. And yet God's work goes on. Why? Because the grace of God is there. We, rather than being lifted up in pride, we need an attitude of humility. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, the ladies just, I understand, are finishing Philippians this week. Yeah, they're, they're way ahead of the men on that. We're still stuck in chapter 3, but they finished the book. But in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? He came humbly. He came with the spirit of humility. He came as a servant to give his life a ransom for many. He came as what? A living sacrifice. And that's what he turns around and he says, let this mind be in you. You be that living sacrifice in the church of Jesus Christ. In, in verse 3 of that chapter, he says, don't just look out for your own affairs. Look out for the interests of others. Be a servant. Be willing to, by grace, reach out and minister to those that need someone to minister to them. Too often pride says it's going to be my way or else. We get on a power trip. And we fail to exercise the, the grace of God. We forget in those moments that we are just part of the body. We're not the head. Sometimes I, I feel like asking people, who died and made you God? <laughs> you're, you're not God. I hate to burst that bubble, but you're a member of the body of Christ. You're not the important one. He is. And so the question we have to ask is not, what do I want? But what does he want me to do? How does he want me to interact in the body of Jesus Christ here? So we are people of grace today. We are also, at the end of verse 3 there, people of faith. And again, you can transpose those letters there. I did get it right the third time in your notes. I didn't get it right the third time in my notes, but I got it in, in your notes there. We are people of faith. Notice he says to each, to each there, God has allotted a measure of faith. That includes every single one of us. We all have a measure of faith. God has, has granted us that faith. And, and I think a, a wise prayer sometimes to pray. Uh, it, it's a difficult prayer, but a, a wise one is what the disciples did in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, uh, as they were uh, Looking at the example of Jesus, they said, Lord, increase our faith. That's a tough prayer to pray. It's a little bit like saying, Lord, I'd like to have more patience. You ever find yourself praying for that? Guess what happens if you pray for patience? You're going to have a trial because that's the only way we learn patience there. And I think the same thing is true of faith. If, if we pray, Lord, increase our faith, he's going to bring some kind of circumstance into our life that's going to stretch our faith just a little bit. But it's not a bad idea. I, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't pray that way. Romans 10:17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
As I think of people of faith, have you ever struggled with the fact that you can't do much for the Lord? I'm no good. I, I, I can't achieve, achieve much for the Lord. We, we defeat ourselves a lot of times because we forget that God doesn't actually ask us to do it for the Lord. He wants to do it through us. John chapter 15, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, I, I grew up with that whole mentality. I, I grew up feeling I could never quite measure up to the standards others set for me. I could come home with five A's on a report card and one B. And you know what the question I would be asked was? Why didn't you get an A in that one? Why, why, why didn't you work a little harder in that one? Well, uh, Sometimes I didn't work a little harder in that subject because I didn't like the subject. I just didn't feel like uh, <laughs> putting out the time and the effort for it. So, sometimes I, I couldn't do it. Uh, I, I, I could work the, as hard as I wanted in art class, and I could never fully satisfy the demands of the, the teacher there because I don't see the colors that she sees. And uh, I, I, I was fine as long as they, we used crayons and I could read the labels, but... Uh, <laughs> You come with those. I look at that group on Thursdays as they meet with their their watercolors. There, you know the thing I noticed about their watercolors, they don't have labels on them, <laughs> and I couldn't do that. So you know that you're asking the impossible there if you wanted me to get an A in art. But I felt I could never quite measure up. And if we're not careful, we get the feeling the same way with the Lord, and we get the feeling, poor me, I I can't. I can't do anything right, so I'm not going to do anything. That's a false sense of humility. That is, is, is wrong. Uh, back up in my notes there, I missed that on, under the area of grace. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said humility is the proper estimate of oneself. We don't think too highly of ourselves. We don't think too poorly of ourselves. We, we take a long, hard look at what is it that God wants to do in us? What is it that God wants to do for us? And if we are people of faith, then we have to be willing to say, Lord, open the door. Whatever it is you want me to do, I know you will give me the grace and the power to do it. Philippians chapter 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I qualify that by saying, if he asks us to do it, we can do it. He'll give us the strength. Now, if Pastor Dan asks you to do it, that doesn't mean you can do it. Because uh, I, I can't see your heart, and I don't know what God is doing in your life. But if, if God asks, then he will give you the power to do it. But all of us are people of faith. Are we willing to exercise that faith? I, I think of that as far as our, our building program. Incidentally, if you haven't been in that back there, you had to go in there today. Yeah, uh, the ceiling's on. It, it, there's quite a bit of progress has, have, has been made in there recently. You know, t t take a look at it there. But you know, when we, we started that, we needed people of faith. We needed people that say, you know what? God can do this. We can't do it, but God can do this. And, and we, we had those that, that said they could. Others sat back and said, we can't do that. That's too big a project. We we. We'll never get the money for that and so forth. I, I, I've even had a lot of pastors tell me, uh, you can't build a church that way. You've you, you got to go to the bank and borrow the money. You, you get, get all your ducks in order first or in a row first, and, and then you can start your building program. And uh, I said, we're not going that way. God is in charge. 
God, God is able to do that. And, uh, and he has been doing it. And, and praise, praise the Lord for that. But, you know, when, when we look at what is it that God wants to do through Chihuahua Evangelical Free Church, do we have the faith to believe that he's going to do it? And are we cooperating with that faith? We, we have a um, kids program. Do, do we really believe that God can reach young people with the gospel message today? And if we really believe that, are we willing to be involved in that process? Do, do we have the faith to believe that somehow God's going to take somebody like me and, and, and work through me or somebody like you and work through you and touch those lives with the gospel message? And not only the lives of the kids, but the parents as well. Are, are we watching God build his church through us? Or are we sitting back and saying, I don't want to go that way. That, that's messy. I, I, I just as soon maintain the status quo. Do we, do we have the faith to believe that God is honoring his word when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Are, are we involved in that building program? We're members of his body. And then that leads us to the third one. We are people of gifts today. Now, I wanted to say we're gifted people. That sounds better, and that's what I'm aiming at here, but that didn't quite fit the outline of the other two. And so to keep it consistent, I said we're people of gifts, but in your mind, think of that. You are a gifted person today. Notice 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 10. Uh, He's dealing with spiritual gifts here. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, he goes on listing several gifts there. But the thing that I want you to look at in that verse is the fact that each one of us has received a special gift. We are all gifted individuals. God has gifted us. Now, he hasn't given us the same gifts. He, that's what the whole idea of the body concept here. We're one body. We're different members. We have different gifts. We have different responsibilities. We have different purposes to, to serve here. But we each have a part to play in the body. I, I was thinking of that a couple of months ago, dislocated my kneecap. And, and I'm still struggling with, with, with that fact. You know what? Up, up until three months ago, I never even thought about my kneecap. Never even gave it a thought. Uh, I, I think about it often now. It's, uh, it's, a, it's become a, a part of my life. And yet it's been there all the time. Been faithfully serving me up until three months ago. Uh, and I've come to thank the Lord that, hey, he put it together in such a way that I've had over 70 years of enjoying that without even realizing it there. Uh, is it an important member of the body? You bet it is. When it's pushed over to the side, your whole body suffers. It's a, it becomes a very important part there. So you may think, well, my gift is just a small gift. No, it's an important gift. If that's the gift that God has given you, then guess what? That's the best gift that you could have. He has a purpose in mind for that for you as, as a part of the body. And so Paul lists here, what I would describe as the seven motivational gifts. I, I realize there are many other gifts listed in Scripture. There is probably, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I, I didn't look it up in my notes, but uh, 
I think there's somewhere between 25 and 28 different gifts listed in the New Testament. Uh, why does he just list these seven here? I, I believe that all of the gifts that are listed elsewhere in, the, in Corinthians and Peter and so forth, all of them fit into one of these seven gifts. Uh, for instance, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is given for building up the body of Christ. It either fits into the gift of prophecy or the, the gift of teaching there. So it's a, it's a manifestation of that particular gift. Uh, the gift of healing, I think, fits under the gift of service here. We, we serve one another that way. So th- those are all legitimate gifts, but these seven are, are the basic ones. And, and I think as you look at these seven, you'll find yourself in at least one of them. At least one of them applies to your life. And then the obvious question, if that is true, then are you using that gift somehow in the body of Christ? Are you using it to to glorify Christ there? So let's look at the seven motivational gifts here this morning. And we'll we'll just do it quickly. You can take time to think of them through on, on your own there. And as we look at these seven and the order that they're in, I'm not suggesting that they're given in the order of importance. I'm not suggesting that one is more important than the other. They are equally important there. This is just the way it came to his mind, the way he wrote it down here. But every one of them is essential for the body of Jesus Christ. And so don't compare gifts with one another here today. First gift he lists is the gift of prophecy. Prophecy in Scripture has a twofold purpose. It when we think of prophecy, the first thing we think of is foretelling the future. We, we have our so-called prophets today. You'll probably be reading some of their prophecies as the new year dawns. Uh, I saw something on, uh, I didn't even take time to open it, but it was on the news. What does 2018 hold for us? What, what, what's going to happen this coming year? That supposedly is the gift of prophecy. Who they get that prophecy from, that's... Uh, a, a different matter there, but prophecy does relate to foretelling the future. And yet, as you read so many of the Old Testament prophets, you will find that a lot of their writing does not have anything to do with the future. It is foretelling, it is forthtelling the word of God there. They are the ones that come with that sense of thus saith the Lord. And they, they rehash or re- revisit the, the Old Testament commands and so forth for us and and are telling the people how they should be living there. And so today the gift of prophecy does include both of those. We we do have uh, that gift of foretelling the future. I, I, I can tell you a couple things that will happen in nineteen or two thousand eighteen. I'm still stuck in the nineteen hundreds. <laughs> uh, first of all, I, I think we can as we look at the coming year, we can realize that God is still on the throne. Christ is still in control. His will will still come to pass. We, 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 we don't have to be afraid of what this year holds because Jesus Christ is still Lord. Uh, and we, we need to encourage one another with those kind of words, to, to, to remind one another. Now, I'm not going to give you any specifics and say, as some have done, well, the Lord's coming again in 2018. He may. And that would be great. But if he doesn't, that would be great as well. It gives us more time to, to live for him and serve him here in, in this earth. But also there's that, that responsibility to for, forth tell the word of God. This is what God says. And notice he said if you're going to prophesy, 
be a prophet here in that sense, then it is according to your faith. Why is that an important qualification? I think you need to go back to the book of James for that. In James chapter 2, he says, faith without works is dead. If we're going to foretell the word of God, if we're going to give forth the word of God, there is that element where we need to practice what we preach. That's faith. We have to put into, into practice that which we are proclaiming or that which we are preaching. That's why I am so thankful that Jim, a few years ago, started the book of James for me. I don't have to teach James here because Jim has, has just about finished it. I haven't given him enough Sundays yet to finish it, but uh, he's, he's getting there. And, and uh, you know, I hate to start the book of James because you know how it starts out? Trials, tribulation, and so forth. And if you're going to preach on that, you can just kind of bet that before you give that message, God's going to send a trial. Are, are you really going to rejoice in trials? Uh, so I, I'm glad Jim had that responsibility, not, not, not me there. But according to our faith, we prophesy. The second gift is that of service. It's the gift, as others have translated it, the gift of helps here. Uh, same gift, I believe, that is referred to in Acts chapter 6 when they appointed the first deacons of the church. They were servants. They were to serve the church. They were to meet the practical needs of the body of Christ. The apostle said, you know, our gift lies in the ministry of the word and in prayer. And we don't have time to look out for some of the other areas in the church. So appoint seven men filled with the spirit that are able to step in and do this work. Uh, the person that has the gift of service is one who meets practical needs in the body of Christ. They are, in a very real sense, living demonstrations of Jesus Christ to the body. And they, they take the gift of service and, and they use it to the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder who is it that's in the kitchen doing the dishes? Who does the, the, the cleaning and so forth? It is individuals that have the gift of service. There's, they see a need, they, they minister to meet that need, and I th- would like to say praise the Lord for those who serve, for those who do step in and do those jobs. Where would we be if nobody was willing to do that today? I, I had a fellow in our church in Grangeville. He said, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. He looks at him and he didn't know. And I said to him, Al was just around the corner from us. His wife had problems with, with drug abuse and was in and out of prison while we were there. Had two children. One was in grade one. The other was in grade three, wasn't it? And we, we kept the kids several times when she was in prison and so forth. And Al said, I don't know what my gift is. And I said, Al... I think your spiritual gift is the gift of mechanics. He says, I don't see that in scripture. Well, it comes under the gifts of service there. You, you know, uh, we were, when we went to Grangeville, there was 11 people in the church. It wasn't a very big church. They were about to close the doors. They had been debating whether they should or not. Uh, we went with the idea, let's see what God can do with, with 11 people. Well, when we got there, there was 13. And soon God began to add to the church, but... Uh, because they were so small in number, we didn't have much of a salary. And uh, 
we were struggling to get by. And we had an old car, and every once in a while that old car would break down. And you know what? Uh, I, every time I, it broke down, I just happened to run into Al on the street. He just lived right around the corner from us, and, and he could tell by the look on my face that something was wrong. He'd say, what's wrong now? And I'd say, well, the car's doing this or that. He said, I'll come and look at it. And within a few minutes, he knew what was wrong. He knew how to go about fixing it. And I don't know how many times he kept that car running for us. But it was a gift of helps that really encouraged us in our walk with the Lord. And so if God has gifted you in that area, it may not be mechanics, it may be dishes, it may be cleaning, it may be 101 areas of needs that have to be done in the church. Praise the Lord. Thank God that he's gifted you and use that gift to the glory of Jesus Christ. Third, third gift he lists is that of teaching here. A teacher is one who clarifies truth, who makes the word understandable to others. And again, it's a gift that we can do in a variety of ways. I, on Sunday morning, like to, for Sunday school, stand up here or sit up, been sitting up here recently and teach in some areas, a little bit different ministry than preaching. And I, I vacillate between prophecy and teaching, which, which is my number one gift there. I, I really don't know. I, I think as time goes on, I enjoy the gift of teaching more than the gift of, of preaching. Uh, and and uh, But uh, it, it may be a classroom situation. Now, I, I remember teaching on the spiritual gifts back in Ekalaka, and one of my elders came up to me and said, you know, I don't think I should be an elder. I said, why not? He said, well, you, you just said in First in Timothy chapter 3 that elders should be apt to teach. And he said, the idea of getting up in front of a class just scares me to death. He said, I could, couldn't do that. Uh, he had a hard time there. The elders would get up and read the scripture for me and so forth. But uh, that, that was a stretch for him to, to get up and, and read the scripture in public. And so he said, I think I should resign as, as an elder. I said, I don't think you should resign as an elder because you're a teacher. He said, no, I'm, I, I, I can't teach a class. I said, Jesse, uh, Jesse was a, a rancher. He had a ranch a few miles out of town. And uh, Jesse would come haying season, calving season, uh, when, when you needed extra help. He would deliberately look for boys that were in trouble, that were struggling. And, and he would hire them and uh, you know, over the course of several months of working with those boys, they would sit down at break or they'd be on the job. Jesse would impart spiritual truth to those kids in a way that you would never get through to them in a classroom. Jesse had that gift of being able to take those troubled kids and work with them and bring some of them to, to Jesus Christ. I said, Jesse, that's the gift of teaching. And so I wouldn't let him quit. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, but uh, that, that's, that, that is part of, of the teaching responsibility. The fourth gift is the gift of exhortation. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul uses that same idea, or excuse me, in, in yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 2, he, he speaks of the fact that pre, he said, He's writing to Timothy, he said, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. There's that word exhort with great patience and instruction. The word exhort that he uses there could also be translated, encourage one another. It, it take, it's the idea of 
not just sitting down and listening to somebody as they share their problem, but being able to say, you know what, this is what God says about that area, and, and encourage them and build them up in their faith and, and build them up in their relationship with Jesus Christ. It, a counselor has that gift, has that responsibility of not just listening. There, there is the value in that listening process, but you've got to go one step farther. What, what does God say? How, how can you use this to this situation to the glory of God and, and so forth there? That's being an encourager. The fifth gift is the gift of giving. He says, if you have the gift of giving, do it with, I like the King James Version on that. He says, do it with simplicity. Uh, we can get so complicated if we're not careful with our gifts. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're to use our resources there to the glory of God. If God gives us the gift of giving and we give a gift to the church, I think we need to take our hands off of it. It's no longer ours, it's his. I, I think of a church when we were first going out as missionaries years ago. I, I think it was even before I was married that I visited this church in Maine. They had a problem. Their roof was leaking, and it was going to be several thousand dollars because it, it was a big, tall building, a real steep roof. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to get up on that roof. <laughs> they, they were going to have to have it done professionally. They didn't have the money to do the job, and, and yet they had a tremendous amount of money in the bank. A banker had died and left them a, a, a good gift of money, but he had specified that they couldn't touch the principal. They could only use the interest. And so here they were with a leaky roof, unable to fix the roof, because somebody in his so-called wisdom had tied up that funds for them for the rest of the, the life of the church there. They, they still have the money in the bank. They can still draw on the interest. But uh, I thought, why didn't he just take his hands off of it and let God direct the church in the way it needed, needed to be used there? Uh, do it with simplicity, he, he said. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Why is that true? It's true because... We give out of our blessing. We have already been blessed, and so we give. And, and if God has blessed you, then you have the responsibility of being a blessing to somebody else. That's the gift of giving, of sharing resources to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. The next area is the gift of leadership or the gift of administration. Someone that has this gift is able to organize events for the maximum efficiency of the church there. And they're to do it with diligence. You have the gift of organization, the gift of leadership. You need to be diligent in that responsibility. Too often, if we're not careful, we're diligent in our own affairs, in our own private life, and we give God the leftovers. He said, be diligent in, in that responsibility. Exercise the same diligence in the church as you would in the work world. You have been placed there. You've been gifted there for that purpose. And then the final one is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is the ability to come alongside someone else, someone that may have fallen, they're down and out, and they need someone just to help them up. They, they need a helping hand in life. That's the gift of mercy. He says, do it with cheerfulness there. That's why with cheerfulness, the gift of mercy, whether we realize it or not, is a tough ministry. We will help people, they will make progress, and then they will fall again. And 
you go through that process. If you've ever worked with a, an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know the process. You know how many times they come to that point and they make a commitment and they stay sober for a day or a month or a year and then they fall back again. It can be a very discouraging ministry. And yet God says do it with cheerfulness because ultimately God is able to break through and change that heart and that life. And we need to, to have that faith to believe that God is able to work. We get a picture of that in the life of Barnabas and John Mark. Remember, John Mark went on Paul's first missionary journey and halfway through he quit. And uh, came time for the second missionary journey and Paul says, I don't want to quit on my team. Uh, I'm not going to take him the second time. And Barnabas said, wait a minute, we've got to give him a, a second chance here. And, you know, the amazing thing is Barnabas went one way, Paul went the other. And years later, Paul wrote and said, bring Mark with you. He's profitable for, for ministry. God had worked through Barnabas into the life of John Mark, and God had transformed him. That's, Barnabas had the gift of mercy and encouragement there. These are the primary gifts. And I, as I said, you can find yourself in one or two of these. I, I think several things you need to remember, though, as you look at these gifts. There are times when we are called to exercise each one of them. We may have the gift of teaching. That doesn't excuse us from the gift of giving. We, we have that responsibility as well. We, we may have the gift of service, but there may be times when in our service we have to exercise the gift of mercy as well. So don't just look at it and say, well, this is my gift and throw the other th six out. No, they all apply to all of our lives at different times there. Also, our gifts may change as, as times go on, but I'm jumping ahead on that one. Uh, remember, as you look at the gifts that are given here, that as you find yourself in one or two of them there, you need to remember that God has gifted you for the church, not for your own benefit, but to serve, to, to use that gift in the context of the church. And so the question is, as a living sacrifice, are you using your gift in the church of Jesus Christ? Say, so wait a minute, that's gone too far. I, uh, I'm committed. I've got all kinds of things I have to do. Yes, that may be true. But the cause of Christ is important as well. Are, are we using our gifts to the glory of Jesus Christ in the church, because that's where he starts here. He said, I will build my church. You're invited to be a part of that. So as you think of spiritual gifts, uh, just four guidelines to keep in mind here. First of all, when it comes to a spiritual gift, do your homework. Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter 4 to Timothy there, uh, the gift of, he was dealing with the gift of teaching or preaching there. He said, take pains in it. Do your homework. Do, your, do the job that God has called you to do. I know some pastors that hate to prepare a message. I had a pastor friend in Grangeville that uh, he would get up 3 o'clock Sunday morning and he'd ask, what am I going to preach on today? Uh, he, he wondered why people were leaving his church. Uh, uh, and, and it created a lot of problems. My, my wife and I did some counseling with him and his wife there because... Uh, she was just getting so frustrated with it. I mean, they had three or four kids to get ready for church. Here he'd be closeted in his study. She'd have to get breakfast. She'd have to 
find all the shoes and the clothes and get, get everybody. It was just hectic Sunday morning for him because he didn't take the time to do his homework through, through the week. And I realize at the last minute God can give us a message if, if that is the case. But I also realize scripture says study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And so take the time to think through what is it that God is asking you to do and how can you best do that to the glory of Jesus Christ. And then focus on what God asked you to do. Not what the pastor asked you to do, not what the board asked you to do, not even what the uh, the yes. Uh, committee asks you to do that's looking for men and women to stand for office now. What, what is it that God is asking you to do? Others may confirm that gift in you, but, uh, you know, I have over the years, so many people have come up to me and said, Pastor, we need to do this. The implication is, Pastor, you need to do this. <laughs> you, you should be doing this. And I like to turn that back and say, you know, if God's placed that on your heart, then maybe you're the one that needs to do it. Maybe he's gifted you to, to do that, that job. That, 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 that's your, don't, don't put that monkey on my back. That's your monkey. You, you take care of that today. What is it that God is asking you to do in the church of Jesus Christ today? And then the third guideline, I think, is use it or lose it. If you don't exercise that gift, you'll lose it. it it just won't be there when, when, when you need it. And then, fourthly, remember, gifts may change. Today you may have one gift somewhere down the road because of physical limitations and so forth. God may gift you in a different area. And that's okay. Uh, I, I think of some of our senior saints in, in a long-term care and so forth. They can't exercise some of the gifts of service or teaching any longer, but they can exercise the gift of prayer. They, they can encourage one another in, in that situation that God has placed them there for a reason. So the gifts may change as our circumstances change. As I think of spiritual gifts, I think of an illustration uh, of a conduct, man who was a, a music conductor. His conducting style was idiosyncratic at the most. Uh, during the soft passages, he'd crouch extremely low for loud Passages, he'd often leap into the air, shouting to the orchestra. His memory was poor. Once he forgot that he had instructed the orchestra not to repeat a section. During the performance, when he went back to repeat the section, they went forward. and He had to holler, stop, wrong, that will not do, again, again. And on and on it went. For his own piano concerto, he tried conducting from the piano. One point, he jumped from the bench, bumping the candles off the piano, uh, another time, he knocked down one of the choir boys. During one long, delicate passage, he jumped high in to cue the, for a loud entrance, but nothing happened because he had lost count and signaled the orchestra too soon. As his hearing worsened, the musicians tried to ignore his conducting, and they were taking their direction from the first violinist. Finally, the musicians pled with the man to go home and give up conducting. They said, this is just not your gift. His name was Ludwig van Beethoven. Tremendous gift of writing music. A tremendous gift, but he was trying to use a gift that he didn't have there. And so as you think about him, think about yourself. How is it that God has gifted you? And then are you willing to be 
a living sacrifice. Are you willing to say, Lord, you've given me this gift, so obviously you want me to use it in the church of Jesus Christ? I would be, I, I hate January, because in January we have to find people to fill offices in, in the church. We have office of deacon that needs to be filled and so forth, and I hate to go around and ask people. I, I don't know how many people I've asked and how many people have said, nope, don't have the time for that, and, and so forth. I wonder... What would it be like if God spoke to your heart and said, I want you to do that gift? Would you be willing to come and say, Pastor, or come to Dan as chairman of the board? Or, you know what? God's given me a desire in this area. You know, that's not wrong. Uh, in writing to the, Timothy, Paul said, if a man desires the office of elder, he desires a good thing there. So do you have that desire to serve the Lord? Uh, are, are you willing to step forward and say, God's gifted me. I've been sitting back, taking it easy, doing nothing. I think it's time for me to use my gift. How is it that God wants to use you in the body today? Are we just here to sit and soak and sour? Or are we here as part of the body of Christ? Do we recognize that each one of us has a responsibility and the work will only go forward as each one of us assumes the God-given responsibility that we have and are willing to say, Lord, I'll be that living sacrifice. Here am I. Use me. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we think of the tremendous gifts that you've given to each one of us, we have to conclude, are we willing to use that gift to build up the church of Jesus Christ? What are we doing to be in that living sacrifice? You said if we're willing to be that sacrifice, we'll prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Help us not to miss out on that, Father, but help us to take the gifts, whatever they may be that you've entrusted to us, and somehow ask how can we use them to glorify Jesus Christ in his church today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing more about Jesus.